Hey, everybody, before I start the show this week, I wanted to tell you about a clothing store that I came across while I was browsing on Instagram. And the name of that store is Hooch Swag. And the reason that this store caught my eye is because they have really stylish, beer-oriented clothing. Seriously, guys, go to your Instagram right now and go to the search bar and type in H-O-O-C-H underscore S-W-A-G, and you will be transported to their page where they have a beautiful display of their products, some great pictures, okay? And dude, when you get there, go to their link. It's in their description box, and it's going to bring you to their online store. It's very, very easy. Once I tapped it, I was immediately transported there, and I saw, I, I really, I was taken back by all the choices, and I, was, I saw the Hopaholic shirt, and I was like, I really want that one. Best part is they come in my size. They're reasonably priced. So many choices. Honestly, everybody, there are some really sweet deals here. Remember, that's Hooch Swag, H-O-O-C-H underscore S-W-A-G. Make sure you follow for future releases. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of Three Beers In. I'm your host, Dom, and it's Season 2, Episode 144, the Sour September Finale. Definitely not for the pain of heart, everybody. Okay, those of you that have been following along at home and doing your own Sour September, where the only beer that would pass through these lips would be Sour Beer. We are here. We are at the end. And I am super excited. I am not going to crown the champion tonight, though. Okay, not going to do that. I know that everyone's been waiting. I know that you've all been just excited to see which one will make it to the three beers in Mount Rushmore of the greatest beers that include ales, lagers, uh, ales, lagers, stouts, uh, ales, lagers, stouts, and and seasonals. I think uh, terrible, terrible production value here, ladies and gentlemen. But nonetheless, here we are, episode one hundred and forty-four. Right? Is that it? Four to four? One forty-four? Yeah. Super, super excited to be here. Super excited to be doing this show. And thank you all for allowing me to be uh, here with you tonight. Just got back. I didn't just get back from it, but the Rubson and Horman launch party was this Saturday, this past Saturday. And my goodness, what a fantastic time. Seriously, you got there. I got there at the six o'clock showing or the six o'clock part of the of the of the ordeal. Uh, I got to see some friends of mine that I have not seen in a little while, and it felt so lovely to see them. And I get into this, it's at Flagship, we get in there, Rupsum and Horman's, uh, or R&H from now on, I'm going to say. R&H's decor is adorning the whole place. They had pretzels out there for everyone to devour, and it was so neat. This is the first time I've ever been to a beer launch or some sort of beer party. And it was so cool because you walk in and there's just beer everywhere. They had like stations of beer people. And like there was these people that were pouring the beers and they would just literally like sit there and just keep putting beer out, putting beer out. Like this is the Amber. This is the IPA. This is the Pilsner. I didn't get to have uh, any of that um, that uh, pomegranate Witta that uh, Amanda had made. I guess it's because maybe I got there a little too late. But nonetheless... Such great activity. It was just so much fun. You know, they had some music there. And then, uh, you know, as soon as he got in, I got on this line. And it was the line to go and shake hands with um, Q of the Impractical Jokers. 
and another one of them. So I'm, I'm listen. I'm not very good at this. I've I've said this before. I think on the show. I don't know who the impractical jokers are. Like I, I've definitely heard of the show. I'm, I'm listen. I don't live under a rock. I I know that they have a show. I know that it's a very popular show, and I know that they prank people. And I did loosely know that I, I thought one of them was from Staten Island. It turns out I think all of them are. But nonetheless, I rubbed elbows with these celebrities, baby. Okay, I had no idea. Now, so so this is a, an interesting thing for me. This is like the second time this year that. I was in the presence of celebrity, but I was not, I was not, um, like, I, I, I didn't feel the, the intensity. I didn't feel the excitement or the, um, what is it? The nerves of being in the presence of a celebrity. I mean, so when, okay, so now I know the one gentleman's name is Sal. I think it's Sal. He came out from, from the back because the, uh, celebrities and the people with all access passes were in the brewery itself. And then when we were on the tap room, like floor, this is where the pretzels were laid out and they had people walking around with, um, what the hell is it called? What is this called? The plate thing that waitresses bring. Uh, I'm really drawing a blank here. The plate thing that waitresses bring, uh, tray. It's a tray. Okay, they were walking. Some people walk around with trays with beer on it. They were some uh, gentleman. Jay Miller was dressed in a, uh, in a dress. Um, people were uh, putting single dollar bills, and I saw a, a five and a twenty in there too. This guy cleaned up, um, tucking it in the dress there. <clears throat> so people were walking around giving beer out. Uh, the guy Dante, I don't know his real name, but his name was Dante from Clerks. Was there? He was he was handing out beer to people. He was behind one of the uh, taps. And everyone's online to to go see the Impractical Joker Q, who it's his brewery. But when the guy Sal came out, the the whole crowd of people that were in there just erupted in elation. I mean, just lost it. And um, I couldn't I, I didn't share in that joy or that feeling because I just don't he's not in my head as like, oh, my God, it's a celebrity. Like, who would be a celebrity that I would lose my shit over? Like, I think if I saw, like, Bill Burr, if Bill Burr walked out of there, I'd probably lose it, and then maybe half the room would lose it, too, because I don't think a lot of people really know who Bill Burr... I mean, he does have his special right now on Netflix, and I know he caught a lot of flack for that one. Him and Dave Chappelle, and we'll get into that in a little bit later, maybe, but nonetheless, this dude comes out... I think I would lose my shit for for, uh, Bill Burr if he came out, you know, or, or Bill Murray, too. A lot of people named Bill. Buffalo Bill came out. I'd lose it. You know, while Bill Hickok came out, I'm going to lose it. So anyway, he, the, the, the people go nuts. You see people, he's good. Now, the cool thing that this guy Sal did, okay, and we'll say this is really neat. He went down the line of all the people and um, took a selfie with them. He would take he would take your phone from your hand, like literally like grab your phone. And uh, I guess it'd be easier for him. Uh, that's about my that's what my inclination is. It's probably be easier for him to do it than to have someone else struggle with the phone. And he would take a selfie with you. And like, you could see the anticipation on the people that were online. Cause they're like, they were going to be next for the selfie. They were like, <laughs> you know, they're just like losing it. Meanwhile, I'm trying to find Amanda. Right. And I'm getting nervous as I'm getting closer to finding her. Now, mind you, you know, she's she's not she's not a celebrity, I, I suppose. But I mean, to me, she's the most important person in the room because she brewed the beer. I interviewed her and I want to I want to tell her 
that how good it was and what I liked about it and and how exciting the time was. So I'm going down the line, and now I go up to the cube fella. I get to him. I take a picture with him. Someone someone grabbed my phone and took a picture for me with the, with the guy, and um, I didn't know what to to say to him. The first thing I said to him was like, "Hey, do you know where Amanda is?" And he didn't necessarily. Uh, I think he was a little taken back by that. I don't think anyone asked him that night where she was. And uh, oh, he's like, "Oh yeah, um, she's definitely around here somewhere. I think she's over by where they're serving beer over there." And I was like, "Oh, cool." And, like, the line wasn't moving because there was another Impractical Joker, like, on the other side. Don't know what his name is. Can't tell you. It wasn't Sal. It wasn't Q. And it, I don't think it was the Murr guy. People were, were wondering where Murr was. Don't know him neither, but it was somebody else. He has a smile. Anyway, um, so now I'm face-to-face with this, this celebrity. I mean, you know, but I don't know what to say. It just happened to me a couple months ago when I was face to face with my my wife's hero, celebrity guy, and I don't know what to say, you know. So luckily, unlike talking to the the witch doctor fella from you know a couple months ago in Pittsburgh, I was able to at least say to this guy like, "Hey, how did you get all this uh, RNH stuff?" Because literally, there was there was original bottles, original like uh, signs, big displays of like the original RNH stuff, and he was like. He seemed actually intrigued when I said that because I don't I don't know if anyone really asked him. I think people went to this event to see the Impractical Jokers. That, I mean, let me not let me not try to sound, you know, a certain way or anything like here. But I, I do think a lot of people went to see the Impractical Jokers people. And I don't think a lot of people were really asking questions about the beer and about, you know, the process and stuff like that. So I did see uh, uh, an intrigue when I asked him. And he goes, I've been collecting this stuff for years. And he turns around and he's trying to find something. And he finds he was drinking out of like one of the original bottles. He filled it with the pills. And he goes, this is the original bottle from 18 blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy shit. And I'm looking at it. And then like the security came up. And he's like, you got to keep the lawn moving. Because he and I were just talking. He's, he's like, hey, man, thanks for coming. Did a little handshake. I get moved down. And now I'm face to face with the one impractical joker that I don't even recognize. Right. And I'm like, hey, and I go to shake his hand and he doesn't shake my hand. He puts his fist out for like a fist bump. I get that. I'm pretty sure that, you know, you don't want to be shaking people's hands all day. So many people don't wash their hands when they go to the bathroom. I get it. Germophobia. I mean, I don't like saying the word germophobia because it makes it seem like, oh, you're some sort of a phobia. You know, germs are a real thing. I get it. So he puts the fist out. I was a little taken back by it, but I gave him the fist bump. And like he's just standing there and he was waiting for me to say something and I don't know the man at all I don't I, I there's nothing for me to fall back on so I just went all right so what's your favorite beer and he goes oh I really don't like beer I said oh okay what do you like hard seltzer he goes no no uh, I like rolling rock I was like all right and I gave him a pound and I took off because there's there, there was nothing there. There's nothing I could have talked about. If at least he said, I like the IPA, I could have been like, yeah, I really like uh, that old style bitterness that it's got and blah, blah, blah. None of that was happening. And and then Joey Fatone was there, which which kind of was a little um, out of left field for me. Okay, I understand the comedians, like the, the singer who was in uh, uh, the wedding singer that, of, of Starsky and Hutch. I think I think it was Starsky and Hutch. But he was an actor that's been a wedding singer in a couple of movies, I think. He was there, but we didn't see him. But I know that he was there. 
uh, yeah, the guy from Clerks. Um, a lot of the some of the writers from the Impractical Jokers were there. Something's is something breaking. Is that a pipe? Not again. Hold on. Nope, we're all right. We're all right. I thought I thought it was going to happen. I was ready to just fucking take off with the. I was about to rip this shit off of the table and deal with the wires later. Anyway, okay. So the celebrity Joey Fatone, out of nowhere, there he is. You know, Mister In Sync, right? In Sync. And then, um, and then I finally found Amanda because I kept asking. I was like, "Where's Amanda? Where's Amanda?" Because she said, "Come find me." So I was like, "Where's Amanda? Where's Amanda?" And um, what you call it? Someone said, there she is right there. And I was like, oh, shoot. Awesome. And I was like, hey, man, I'm dumb. Shook hands. Very nice lady. Very, very cool. But, like, I'm trying to talk to her about the beer. And it came, I don't know why our paths crossed at this point in the night. But it was the time where Q and Joey Fatone felt it was necessary for them to just go up to the stage and sing uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Right? And it was loud. Okay, very loud, and I'm trying to discuss the beer with her, but I, there was really, it was just, you're just screaming, and I was just like, listen, it's really good, thank you so much for the interview, good luck with everything. She shook my hand again, and I said, great job, and that was it. But I was really, really great to to to, to touch base with her, to talk to her, and uh, the beer was good, I really enjoyed all of them. The amber ha- had a really interesting uh, bitterness on the back end that I really enjoyed, had a chocolatey flavor to it that I enjoyed. Really, really nice beer. The IPA was a good, strong ale. Like, it had that. I know my father would love that beer. Like, it had such a great old world, old English kind. Maybe like an English, maybe there was like an English malt in there or an English hop or something. Because it had that strong ale flavor to it. And the Pilsner had a really good effervescence effervescence to it. And it was floral. It was bright. And it also had a great dry back end to it. So the beers were, for, for, for the styles that they have, they, they hold their own, in my opinion. I liked it a lot better uh, than some of the stuff that I've had uh, recently. So really, really great beers and stuff. Uh, it, was, it was a fantastic time. I had a great time. Now I'm drawing a complete blank. I thought I was going to talk about it after that. I had something lined up. It's like out of my head. Gone. Well, anyway, let's go to the hop of the week then. Because if, if I can't figure out, um, if I can't figure out, I'm going to go to the hop. So what do we got here? Let me spin the wheel. And once the wheel has been spun, we will see what hop we get. Hold on. Internet's a little slow. Bear with me. Seriously, bear with me here. What the fuck was I going to talk about? I I have like in my head. This has been happening to me lately. I mean, I've been it's been a bit of a me beating the dead horse saying that I'm fucking losing my mind and I don't know what's going on. So let me spin this wheel here. Let's see what we get. Top of the week, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than Dana. Dana Hop. Let's see what the, let's see what Dana Hop is. I got a feeling it's not going to be a, a long one here. Hop of the week, Dana or Dana. I don't, you know, just take your pick. Dana or Extra Styrian Dana, as it's often known is a Slovenian hop bred from Hollertau Magnum and a wild Slovenian male. Okay. A product of the Institute of Hop Research in Zalek, Slovenia. It is said to feature quality and harmonious bittering properties alongside a slightly floral and citrus profile. That's it. That's all they say. So it says that it's uh, used here for uh, its subtle floral and citrus flavors, bittering and aroma. Alpha acid composition is 11 to 16%. 
beta acid composition, 4 to 6%. And it's mainly used for India pale ales. And that's it, everybody. So I told my wife, okay, I know I announced this um, last show. I told my wife about the October 15th or October 19th boil. We're finally going to make our beer. And she's and I said to her, I was like, I want you to be there with me. I want it to be a family thing. I want the baby to be around for it. You know, keep her away from the boiling. You know, I want the baby to be around. And she's like, yeah, you know, let's just, you know, I'll do it. Let's do it. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I just can't wait to maybe try some of these combinations, like to try some of these these um, different hops because I've been talking about them all week. And some of these no-name hops, kind of like this one, this Slovenian cone uh, hop situation here. I really want to give that a shot. I want to see, like, what what why they're not widely used. And Amanda, like I said, Amanda uh, had brought this up before. It's a matter of the cost and uh, and what you get out of them. So, um I'm gonna go right into the uh, into the beer news because I, I have these last two beers that I really want to focus on and stuff. So um, let's see what we got here, ladies and gentlemen. The beer news that has been procured over the week. What's going on out there in the beer world? Right here on Three Beers, and you can find out. Breaking beer news, everybody. That's correct. So this is an interesting article that I came across on goodbeerhunting.com. I'm not going to read the whole thing of it because it is long, but I will say this. I read it, and I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, the gist of what it's about. I had no idea about this, okay? But apparently Budweiser is not... Okay, so how am I going to... How am I going to... How am I going to... How am I going to package this? Anheuser-Busch. We know Anheuser-Busch was... The and you know the beer company that's now AB InBev, and they had sold Budweisers for like I don't know the last what hundred and or two hundred two hundred wait how long for a long time for many 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 years over a hundred years but I didn't know this but when when the St Louis brewery started making that lager called Budweiser it was meaning from Budweiser which was a famous beer in a historical Czech town. And if you go on Wikipedia, okay, there, there is a Budweiser in the Czech Republic, and it's a small little town that makes this beer called Budweiser, and they have been, they've been suing uh, InBev and, and Anheuser-Busch for like the last 30 years. Like it's, it's absolutely intense because it's like a small brewery in the middle of the Czech Republic. Hang on, I'm going to try to, because it was in this article, I'm going to try to bring up the Wikipedia. And it's so cool because, like, it has, like, that Budweiser, it has that Budweiser, um, whatchamacallit, um, kind of, like, logo, that same text. Yeah, it's called Budweiser Budvar, okay? Budvar from Budweiser, uh, which is in the, there's a brewery in the Czech city of, fuck off, Seski Budjavetsky, it's best known for the original Budweiser or the Budweiser Budvar pale lager brewed using artisan water, Mavarian barley, and sa- and Saj hops. And I bet you that this Budweiser, it would be a hell of a lot better than the Budweiser that is out here um, in in America, you know? And they've been, like, like I said, for the last, um, for the last, I think, 30 years, they have been uh, suing each other. And uh, I think they're a very small place, 
but they've been brewing their beer under the purity law, the Reinheit Schittgabert or whatever, uh, from 1516. So that tells me that it's a probably a pretty darn good beer. It says here Budweiser Budvar is a great beer because it has a great it has great raw materials and great brewers. They produce it in a slow, painstaking way, and its integrity is best served by being uh, produced in its town of origin in a region with the pride of the beer. And it's so weird because the can looks like a Budweiser like knockoff, but it says Budweiser original. It says B original check imported lager. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna take a screenshot of this picture and I'm gonna put it up on the uh, on the Facebook. I'll remember to do that. So I just thought that was a really interesting article. I I, I started reading it um, earlier and I wanted to read the whole thing on the show, but it's just it's just too too long. It really is, you know. And I I realized that sometimes when I um when I read some of these when I don't read the articles before like uh, the show. It drones on and it gets terrible. But now the next one here is from Thrillist.com. And I think this is an important one because I think uh, for for us, the beer drinkers, we need to know about the up-and-coming breweries or the breweries that maybe we should uh, look out for when we're out at our distributors and something that we want to look at. And it's from Thrillist.com, and it's the 13 Essential American Breweries of 2019. This is by the Thrillist Food section. And I'm going to read this one outright because I think it's a pretty... I like the style in which this one is written. And it says here... Internet analysts love to say shit like craft beer is dead or the industry is going has nowhere else to go. Or did you know you can make $30,000 a month working from home? Regarding the former statements, we unregretfully disagree. Yes, sales can fluctuate, especially when new beverage trends like boozy seltzer start hogging the spotlight. Yes, sometimes breweries close or get acquired. We know that. We've been reporting on that uh, extensively. Uh, that will happen when you have more than 30, uh, 6,300 independent breweries operating across the nation, and some of them are still managing to completely disrupt the game in their own ra- uh, ways. Identifying the essential 13 essential breweries of the now, uh, in the year of our Lord 2019, was an exercise in itself, blah, 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 blah. So what do we have here? So the first thing that comes up, and this is really interesting because I message these people on Facebook uh, because my great uncle Vince, who lives up near uh, this brewery in, in upstate New York, told me about it. It's the Suarez Family Brewery. Uh, it's established in 2016, and uh, the distribution here is exclusively in New York. And it says here, you don't have to be from New York to know that it's a hell of a lot of beer action afoot in the Hudson Valley. But unlike the hype that drives many uh, an IPA can release, a lot of buzz around here generated by a brewer who's focused on making three types of beer well none of which involve hazy hop bombs. It was funny because my Uncle Vince, my great-uncle Vince, when he was asking me about the relaunch of Three Beers In, he's like, there's a brewery up there called Suarez, and they make a very excellent pale lager. And I was like, that's interesting. I would love to try that. And I, and I tried, um, I tried uh, emailing them, but they never got back to me. But the Suarez family brewing founder and head brewer Dan Suarez honed his skill under the famous Sean Hill of Vermont storied Hill Farmstead, taking on the first assistant brewer job there uh, when they were opening in 2010. Since opening his own facility in 2016, they've quickly become famous for their unfiltered German-style lagers, mixed fermentation ales they call country beers, and a crispy little, which is and crispy little, which is essentially a lower ABV pale ale. Uh, releases like their Palatine. Pills, General Store Beer de Garde, Bone Skirt Black Lager, and Crispy Little 
itself have helped establish their rotating lineup as a superlative standout in the Northeast. But despite their um, mir- mir- uh, their success, uh, there's no short supply of hometown support. In just a few short years, the family Su- the Suarez Family Brewery has succeeded in not only reinvigorating mayor- many beer drinkers and other brewers' uh, passion for classic and antiquated 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 antique styles but none uh but okay they do good i'm just i I fucked up bell's brewing is the next one on the list and they're coming out of comstock michigan established in 1985 and their distribution is through 40 plus states and they also have a beer locator tool which is on this website and I've said so much about uh, Bell's, but let's give you a little bit of a backdrop, uh, according to thethrillist.com. When Larry Bell opened his namesake brewery way back in 1985, people likely thought he was crazy. Craft beer wasn't exactly a hot commodity, especially in the palm of Michigan. But the world changed in the intervening years, and Bell's has been on the forefront and center Um with a murderer's row of icons. And I agree with him. Two Hearted consistently gets named among the best IPAs in the United States, even topping the American Homebrewers Association Reader's Survey three years in a row. Oberon, a golden wheat ale, it's the unofficial state beer. Its annual release is treated like a holiday, and Hop Slam was an early warrior of the uh, the IBU arms race. The Cherry Stout is the ultimate winter warmer, and the list goes on and on. I would love to try the Cherry Stout because I'm into winter warmers. 34 years later, Michigan's beer scene is arguably the best in the country with breweries like Shorts, Founders, New Holland, and Jolly Pumpkin uh, becoming legend. I thought New Holland was... Oh, that was New Belgium, excuse me. New Holland Jolly Pumpkin becoming legendary. Upstarts like Old Nation, love them. Fueling the haze craze in cities such as Grand Rapids and Traverse City, uh, becoming destinations for beer lovers. So how does Bell say so essential? By never slowing down. The brewery could simply keep the aforementioned icons and that amber and remain uh, and remained one of the best breweries in the country. Instead, they keep innovating. Too Hearted this year gets its cousin. It gets a cousin in the 11% behemoth double two-hearted, while next year they're swinging the other way and launching lighthearted, a 3.7% session beer, attempting to challenge the notion that light beer has to be flavorless. They recently re-released, excuse me, they recently released Pool Time, joined uh, with Oberon as a clutch summer beer, wheat uh, wheat ale with sweet cherry juice, and the list goes on and on. The next one we have here is The Alchemist from Stowe, Vermont, established in 2003. And uh, Vermont is mainly where, excuse me, I burped there, is mainly where it is distributed. What would American tap lists look like without The Alchemist? That's a tough question to answer. The Vermont Brewery's flagship IPA, Hetty Topper, is usually regarded as the first hazy IPA, like the Velvet Underground. Hetty was a cult favorite for a decade before exploding in popularity nationally and inspiring tens of thousands of imitators and endless droves of beer and pel- uh, of beer pilgrims. I'll tell you what, I did, I did not like, in full disclosure, I didn't like Hetty Topper. I didn't think it was that, it's, I, I, didn't, I, I was not impressed. And I, and I said that also about Hop Slam, and I think it's just because I wasn't in on the craze when it was happening, and I think it was later on that... Uh, that I jumped on board. And that, that I think essentially is what it all boils down to. But nonetheless, we continue. 
Uh, you'll also find a Frisbee golf course there, free shorts, poor, listen to the creaks of this house. And it's right by Ben and Jerry's. And they have uh, they have uh, a lot of stuff there. The Alchemist is a constant fixture, and it's true. Weld Works Brewing Company from Greeley, Colorado. They established in 2015, and they're mainly in Colorado, but they do have an online bottle trading site. Uh, towns named Decorah and Munster aren't particularly notable without the existence of breweries named Toppling Goliath and Three Floyds. And now Weld Works is putting Greeley, Colorado on the map. Greeley is not where most of the Centennial states... Is that the, what they call Colorado the Centennial state? I guess that's... A, um, it's a blue-collar town worlds away from Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. It's not particularly convenient to drive to, and yet 300-plus people routinely sit in folding chairs in a parking lot waiting for the brewery's canned beer releases. These folks haul cases of cans to their cars of the latest barrel-aged can release uh, or variant of Juicy Bits. It's take on the New England-style IPA, and it has gained statewide and ultimately nationwide attention. Many beers released with bizarre adjuncts seemed like publicity stunts where taste isn't prioritized as Instagram likes isn't as prioritized as Instagram likes. Weldworks manages to release 130. Wow. Whoa. Weldworks managed to release 138 new, often bizarre beers last year alone and is on pace to brew 100 beers this year. You know, that's why, listen, you know, I had talked about this with some friends and, and especially Pete Sullivan. It's like when, and Matt Daly brought this up too. When you, when you have a brewery that's just churning out beer like that, sometimes it could be, I think, a little bit damaging because it's like, okay, yeah, you made it to the, to this article here, but like, is that what you're going to hang your hat on? The fact that you you had just so many beers just pumping out? Next one we have here is Bale Breaker Brewing Company from Yakima, Washington. Established in 2013, and the distribution is mainly in Oregon and Washington, with Idaho on the way. The agricultural industry is the lifeblood of brewing, and hops are arguably the, mo- arguably the most important ingredient in beer. Washington's Yakima Valley grows 73% of the hops in the United States. And it's there that Bale Breakers brewery, uh, Brewers are continuing to innovate with gl- glorious green flowers. With the glorious green flowers. Founded by the Loftus Hop Farming family in 2013, Bale Breaker is somehow the only commercial brewery in the United States that is also a hop, a hop farm. Uh, Mike Smith began working with his grandparents uh, at the hop farm when he was 19. And uh, since he has since operated the farm for over 40 years and has grown over 2,000 acres of Mosaic, Citra, and Simcoe hops, some of the most sought-after hops in the world. That's pretty special. While their year-round lineup of hop-focused beer uh, showcases the core Loftus-grown hop varieties in a 30-barrel brew house, they uh, they innovate by testing uh, hop varieties on their five-barrel pilot brew house, so they have... They do a lot of different experimenting uh, with their hops because they are brewing them right then and there. The next one is Profim Family Brewing. This is also in Oregon. Um, I'm going to try to just burn through this now because uh, this is just, uh, pretty far out there. A New Glarus Brewing Company from Wisconsin. Again, these these the reason I'm going to blow through these is because the distribution is really just in the areas in which they are. Firestone Walker Brewing Company. I didn't know that they were still craft. I thought that they... Um, I thought they weren't craft anymore. Interesting. 
Uh, nonetheless, they're on this list here. We also have Jester King Brewery from Austin, Texas. I still haven't had a Texas beer. Really wanted to get into that. We have Beer uh, Burial Beer Company from Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I think I heard about them recently. Notch Brewing from Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, Three Floyds Brewing from Munster, Indiana. Another uh, great, great brewery. We also have here Creature Comforts Brewing from Athens, Georgia. This is the first time I've ever heard of a brewery from Georgia. I would love to give that a try. And those are the uh, those are the uh, breweries that they have listed here. So um, this is the last one I want to get to in terms of the articles, and it's here. It says, "What are Oktoberfests really?" Now I think this is very interesting because, again, maybe even I got it wrong because I do think that. Excuse me that it's time that we kind of clear the air about this. And this comes from the takeout.com, their drinkery section, uh, where it says, Ask Kate about beer. What are Oktoberfests really? And this is filed to the Ask Kate about beer section, and it's Kate Burnott who um, who did this. And she said, Welcome to Ask Kate about beer, in which the takeout's resident beer experts answer everything you've ever want to know about beer, but were too drunk to ask. Have a question? Shoot it to beer at the takeout.com. So the uh, question here has uh, says, "Hey Kate, did you realize that Marzen, Oktoberfest, and Fest beer are three different styles of beer? I did not. I thought they were used somewhat interchangeably, but now I wonder whether that's even correct." Thanks, Nick. And she responds, "Hey Nick, American brewers are known to take liberties with beer styles, as anyone who drank who's drank an IPA or stout in the past twenty years knows. Oktoberfest beers, though." Uh, seem like they should be based on some archetypal German beer and thus should all relatively conform to similar standards. Aha! Wouldn't that be easy? Uh, Parsing Oktoberfest beers requires not only undertaking... uh, Excuse me, not only understanding of the beer served at the Oktoberfest in Munich, but a subsequent examination of how American brewers have toyed with those styles. We'll start with a brief history and then speed up to present day. There are there if there's any framework to keep in mind as time travel, it's this Oktoberfest beer has specific meaning in Germany, but state side interpretations are much more fluid in America. You can call anything you can call anything in America. Stop. I'm so sorry. In America, you can call anything anything you want. You can call a dog a cat. Uh, doesn't make it a cat, says Will Kemper, uh, brewmaster and lager-focused Bellingham, Washington brewery, Chuckanut, uh, tells the takeout, if we talk about the actual Munich Oktoberfest, that's a different animal. Munich Oktoberfest didn't even begin as a beer festival. The event that would later become Oktoberfest took place in Munich in 1810 and celebrated the marriage of Crown Prince Ludwig and Princess Therese of Saxony-Hildenburgerhausen. Jeez. Uh, The couple threw a party in a meadow near the city gates and invited pretty much any Bavarian person who wanted to attend. Naturally, the party was a hit. To this day, Germans say, "We're we're going to Oktoberfest and say, we're going to the meadow. Oh, they don't say we're going to Oktoberfest. They say we're going to the meadow. Oh, that's cool. Everybody had such a good time uh, that it was decided that they'd do it again next year, and it kept happening year after year, said Martin Verga of the brewmaster of Gunpowder Falls in, in Pennsylvania, who studied, uh, who studied brewing uh, in Germany. That's pretty cool. Along the way, it became codified that only breweries could serve beer at Oktoberfest. Um, 
along the way, it became codified that the only breweries that could serve beer at Oktoberfest were the six breweries within the city limits of Munich, which was Spaten Franziskaner, Hacker Peschor, Hofbrau München, Augustiner, Löwenbrau, and Pauliner. Other breweries opened since these rules were enacted, but they were still shut out of the official Munich festivities. It's like the mafia, Verga says. Traditional German brewing, excuse me, traditional German brewing is highly regionalized with local breweries in an area, all making roughly the same style of beer. For Oktoberfest, all of Munich's original six breweries brewed uh, what we now call Marzen, a rich, toasty amber lager made with top-of-the-line malts. But as, as, as the Oktoberfest party grew and grew, the breweries began to realize that such an expensive and time-consuming beer wasn't idea to, ideal to serve the masses. Also, taste trends started to change. A true Marzen is a very malty, full-bodied beer, and it's and in the and it's in the best economic interest of everyone involved in Oktoberfest to get everyone to drink as much as possible. So breweries tinkered with their recipes a bit and came up with a style often referred to now as fest beer. Fest beer is lighter in color and body, with less malt richness and a lower alcohol content. It's still a flavorful beer with malt sweetness, but it's much easier to drink. If this helps paint the picture, it's the style intended to be consumed by the leader. Though breweries began lightening their recipes earlier, by 1990, the official Oktoberfest style had shifted to Fest beer rather than Marzen. Recently, if you go to Oktoberfest, there's not a Marzen there these days, uh, Kemper says. Uh, we've jumped now from 1810 to 1990 in a couple of paragraphs, so we'll jump to 2019. Today, American breweries brew Oktoberfest beers that run the gamut from Marzins to Fest beers to even other types of amber or gold-colored lagers. While it rankles the lager purists these days, you can find many types of fall lagers bearing Oktoberfest labels. Virgo especially bothered by the recent label he saw that read Feast Beer. Oh my God, I think I'd throw up as well. Once you get here in the U.S., there's, uh, that's where we tend to summarize things. That's where a lot of people, uh, a lot of people notions are that Oktoberfest beer is kind of orangey, clear, tasty beer for the fall. This is uh, Zandre uh, Nicholson, head brewer of Idle Hands Craft Ales in Malden, Massachusetts. Uh, it's difficult to know exactly what you're getting uh, being an American consumer picking up a six-pack of an Oktoberfest beer. It might be way too dark or way too pale for you, depending on what you're expecting. If you're uh, if you're in a brewery or a beer bar where you can ask questions about how light or dark or strong the Oktoberfest is, uh, that should get you the information you need. If you're checking out Oktoberfest lagers at the grocery store, many breweries are starting to give some indication on their cans and bottles whether their lagers lead more toward the Fest beer or Marzen side of the spectrum. At the very least, you'll know what you're getting. Uh, you'll be getting a loosely German-inspired lager brewed for the fall. Whether it's a delicious-as-beer first consumed in the Munich Meadow 200 years ago, no one alive can say for certain. And I hope that clears some things up because it was a little bit confusing to me. I now wonder, will I ever have a true Oktoberfest beer? Who knows? Oh, sorry about that. But the one thing that I do know, ladies and gentlemen, is I do have some beers right here, right now. 
and I'm going to take them out of this cooler right now. I don't know what they're called, but I promise you I will update the untapped and have all the names of these beers ready for the crowning of the champion that will be next week. I don't want to do that this week. Cracking it open. What do we got in here? Okay. So, two beers here. One of them is in a tall boy can. One of them is in a regular can. And I also have this Molotov Heavy, which I'm going to put back in the fridge because this is in the fridge upstairs. What do we got here, everybody? So, the first thing we have is from Pipeworks Brewing. And it's called No New Frenemies. And it's a dry hopped sour ale. Straight up. Um, it says here on the side here. This, oh, it's, uh, d- oh, sorry, it's two breweries, excuse me. Um, Northern, uh, Nor- uh, Des- Destill Brewery and Pipeworks. Sorry about that. This collaboration with our friends at Pipeworks is a light bodied dry hop kettle sour featuring Azeka and cashmere hops for notes of citrus and tropical fruit. It is fermented with a Norwegian yeast strain known for impairing notes of orange and citrus, resulting in a tart, refreshing beer perfect for sharing among friends or rivals. Cheers. It's 5.2 ABV and 60 IBUs, and it's relatively fresh. It was brewed not too long ago. And the next one here, I have Collective Arts Pina Colada Sour. A sour ale brewed with coconut pineapple puree, demerara sugar, demerara sugar, and lactose. One pint, 5.2% ABV. So it's unfiltered. Keep cold and roll the can before opening. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, let me roll this, roll this can around because um, I don't, I don't want to pass away from this one. So I got a feeling that I'm gonna like the. The, the collaboration one, because I don't know what Demerara sour, Demerara sugar is. Let's open that one up first. Jesus fuck! Oh my god! Oh, it's the smell of pina colada, but with beer. That is interesting. I'm pouring this whole thing out. Hard dump pour here. I rolled the can. Something came out. That smells really... It smells like apple juice. Hang on. I'm not even going to... Hold on. Oh, my God. It smells like... It smells... It's First of all, this is the first one I think that actually smells sour. Okay? It has a sm- sour aroma to it. And... What the fuck? It smells like apple juice. Oh, my God. I think, this is not going to be a good one, I think. You smell like... It smells like pina colada that got apple juice thrown into it by accident. And then it went bad. All right, I'm going to open the other one just to try to, like, change this up a little bit. Now, I think this one might be the one that I like, but uh, let's see what happens. Pouring it out, hard pour. Didn't have to roll shit with this one. All right, now this this is a color that I don't necessarily... This is a piss, like, sick piss, light, straw-colored yellow. The other one at least has an ale color to it. Okay, so this one smells really dank. Holy shit. A mango... Okay, there's a... Okay, that's weird. There's a very strong pungent odor here. It's. It doesn't smell good, though. It almost smells like a fart. I'm not going to lie, everybody. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I know I'm a beer show, and I'm supposed to use these crazy words, but I smell fart with this one, and bad peanut... 
bad coconut apple juice with this one. So I'm going to go for the fart one. No, you know what? Let me go for the coconut one first. Here we go. Oh, shit. Okay, real tart. But it doesn't hit you right away. Oh, God. It hits you really late. And, okay. There's a sugary sweetness there. There's a grassiness there. Almost like a candied candied caramel flavor at the end that is not very enjoyable with the sour. The sugar is too much. It tastes like and and the after effects it's, it, it tastes like I ate raisins an hour ago. Fuck. Alright. The frenemies one. That one wins. That one wins. Very tart. Okay, in the beginning. Fuck me, man. Hold on. If you have heartburn, it hits you. A pretty pleasant ale flavor in the beginning, but once again, it's loaded with a tartness that actually ramps up as you go through the um, the journey of this beer. But this is clearly the winner. The other one tastes like it tastes like your child tried to make a pina colada but grabbed everything that that, that, that they could get their little hands on. I'm going to try it one more time just to see. Mm. Smells a little burnt. I wish... Okay. So in the beginning with the, um, with the pina colada one, right? It's hard for me to do two beers. First of all, they're very carbonated. Pretty decent mouthfeel on the both of them. Um... The No New Frenemies is definitely more tart, but it also has a a broader uh, beer profile than this uh, Pina Colada one. The Pina Colada one, on the first sip, good burp though. You, you get a very strong coconut flavor, like that Pina Colada flavor. And then the sourness creeps in. I guess it's the pineapple and sugar together with the lactose. That just makes this candied flavor that isn't necessarily balancing well with the with the sour tartness, and I just can't see how someone would um, would seek this beer out. I don't. I cannot see how this beer um, is is something that people would want. Uh, I'm sorry to say it. I I, uh, I just I can't envision drinking that ever. The other one, on the other hand, like I like if I had to bring one of these to a friend and say, hey, you want to try a good sour or just a sour that's doable? Wouldn't be that one. But this collaboration here is a lot better because it has more beer uh, qualities to it. Granted, the color is, is abysmal looking, but there is a, a really nice um, tropical sweetness there. <clears throat> it's But it's cut with that sour. So it's almost as if they took a, um, what would be a juice bomb, by the way, mm. and hit it with this, with this yeast that imparted such a sour tartness to it. This is the sourest one that I've had out of all the beers. So if you, if you want a super, super sour beer, try to get your hands on this collaboration between Destil or Distill and Pipeworks. Goddamn. You could tell how sour it is by the the heartburn that I've got. I even took a fucking Zantac before I did this because I know what was going to happen. Clearly the winner here is the uh, No New Frenemies 
uh, over the collective arts, uh, pina colada sour. I'm just not feeling it. I mean, and, and I will say that um, I'm a little disappointed because I thought that the pina colada sour uh, maybe would have had some qualities that uh, would have been a little bit more enjoyable. But that obviously didn't happen here tonight, and it is not good. But that is going to bring us to the conclusion of Sour September. And I, I guys, I cannot tell you <clears throat> how excited I am to go back to regular beer. Again, I don't hate sours. I really don't. And I think this is a really interesting uh, time for me to be doing this, is the exclusive sours. Ooh. But it's time to go back. It's time to go back on the show. Anyway, everybody, I want to really thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going away this weekend to the Pocono Mountains. It's going to be fun. <sighs> Sorry about that. Maybe next September I'll do it a little different. I'll do the, the beer review in the beginning because it's it's really, it slows me down so much for the end of the show. But anyway, I really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, I really hope you all have a great weekend. Start getting your pumpkin spice lattes because it's time. Fall is here, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend, and I'm going to catch you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening, and, uh, and cheers. <laughs>